our service this morning. Glad to see you faces that are here, here on a day like today. It's a beautiful day and I'm sure lots of our congregation is out enjoying the sunshine. But let's stand and sing together. If anybody wants the booklets, they're at the back. Um, if you like to have the music, if not, Curtis is going to put the words on. And we're going to start with Seeky first. Sure. 
Thank you for your singing. Is this on? Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. Small but boisterous crowd. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just great to have uh, everyone here this morning, and great to have Ross Plews again come to come to give us the message this morning. So, anyways, we will just start with uh, if you want to open your bulletins and read with me the call to worship this morning from Psalm seventy. Let's just read it together. <clears throat> let all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let those who love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this beautiful Sunday you've given to us. Thank you that we can gather here to worship in, in your house, Lord. And we just thank you that... Uh, uh, that Ross Plews is here this morning to uh, to give us a message that you've laid on his heart, and we just pray that he will uh, he will deliver that though effect, deliver that message effectually and uh, the way you want him to uh, to present it, Lord. So we just want to hand the service over to you. Thank you for everyone who's, who made it a priority to come here this morning, and we just uh, yeah thank you again for this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Chris is going to give us a quick scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 63. If you've got your Bibles and like to follow along, I'm going to read Psalm 63 from the English Standard Version. Excuse me. <clears throat> oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Ross Plews, as you guys know, uh, or may not know, I think most of us have heard him several times. He has taught us over the years and filled in pulpit supply uh, when Glenn's been gone for a number of years. I wouldn't even know how many times. I would think it would be well over a dozen, probably over the years. Uh, Ross is a longtime or former resident of Lashburn. Also, you might not know about Ross, as he's been a pastor, teacher, and he's a um, Christian counselor. He is also known to um, my kids as sensei. Ross is also a karate teacher, and he taught Jessica when she first started karate when she was five. So 
He is also a professional photographer. You might have seen uh, some of his work. And we're excited that Susan's with him this morning. And Ross, we're excited that you're here to deliver God's word. Thank you. Oh, you got some water? I was going to say, I got some here for you. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I'm hurting all over today. I was doing some work on my trailer yesterday and I used muscles that I forgot I had. And uh, so if I kind of hold myself up here today, you'll know I'm in pain. Uh, say a prayer for me. Well, it's good to be here and I want you to turn to Psalm 63 where we're going to uh, look at that passage of scripture today and hopefully I can unfold that for you and unwrap it and uh, we can learn some new things today. I recently read a little bit of a story of a fellow online who was lost in the desert. Here's what he wrote. He said, it's a very hot day and the sands are glittering like gold in the desert. I'm touring the land, but now I seem to have lost my way in this desert. I can't seem to find my way back and the water in my bottle has dried out. I need to find water. So this guy, as his story went on, was in desperate search of water. He knew he would die without it. The hot, intense sun had caused his lips to crack. They were bleeding. They were painful. A couple of times he even thought he saw Tim Hortons, but it was just a mirage. He longed for a drink of water. How he longed for that drink of water. And as we come to Psalm 63 today, that's kind of the image that surrounds this chapter. Somebody who's in a desert, the thirst is, they need to quench that thirst. And he starts off in verse 1 and he says, Oh God, oh God, that's the first place he starts. And that, you know, it's amazing in life today that that's really where we've got to come back and start there. It's, it's about God in our life and how he works in our life. So we'll see three things from this psalm today. We want to look at, you know, David had a real desire for God. That desire led to delightfulness. He delighted in God. And then out of that relationship with God, he found his defense. So let's look at that and those three things today. We'll consider, first of all, David's desire. So in verse 1, he says, O God, you are my God. That's a powerful statement to begin the chapter here. Because right away, he acknowledges his relationship with God, the creator. He says, my God, the very basis of his existence the very beginning point of his meaningful existence was that it was God and me. So when we start off right away, we realize that in this chapter, we're looking at relationship versus religion. By definition, a relationship requires a mutual connectiveness. And God certainly has brought to us salvation by grace, not by our works, nothing that we can do to earn it. But he also expects us to return what he has given us in the sense of our relationship with him. So God's grace at work in our lives, we need to respond to that grace. And he says in verse 1 then, I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So this image has merit in David's uh, fact, in the fact that David is in the desert, and he says in this parched and weary land where there's no water, it really refers to parts of the land in that day that were not regularly cultivated or inhabited, 
They were used for pasture, usually without wood, usually poor in water, and not entirely destitute of vegetation, but not really a lot there. And in verse 11, he tells us he's the king. He says, but the king will rejoice in God, and all who trust in him will praise him, while liars are silenced. What was he doing in the desert? Well, he was in the desert because there was a coup d'etat by his son, and he was running to save his life, basically. So Absalom had staged this coup d'etat. And in 2 Samuel 15, 23, it says, the whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on towards the desert. It was a sad occasion. The king was now running for his life in the desert. He was overthrown, forced to live in this desert. And that's why in verse 1 he starts to shift his reality of being in a desert to the, the desertness or the, the bleakness of his soul. He says, I earnestly search for you in verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So he makes a shift here from this analogy that he's in the desert to being in the desert of his soul. And that's really what we focus on today. See, he was talking about his desire for his God in the midst of the desert. And he's going to continue talking about this idea of his relationship with God. So again, let's come back to verse 1 then. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul searches for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. It's not a scene of a stranger running away from God. It's a scene of a friend who's running towards God in the midst of a physiological reaction, i.e. the thirst. I can recall getting a call from an employee assistance plan organization to which I serve, <clears throat> and they said to me, are you getting any calls lately due to COVID? And of course the answer was, oh yes overwhelming calls. When there was the tsunamis in parts of the world, they called and said, are you getting any? Yes, lots. And when I say 9-11, what first comes to your mind immediately? Yell it out. When I say 9-11, what comes to your mind? The Twin Towers. It has this ripple effect all throughout the world when these major events happen. And that's the same way, I think, in our spiritual realm. It, we awaken this, this giant of complacency in our lives. Something happens. Something causes us to wake up, so to speak, in our spirit. And our hearts are like David's where we cry out to God and we say, Oh God, my God, I long for you in this desert experience that I find myself in. And David's heart was heavy. His words ring out, Oh God, in this time of calamity, I cry to you. I long for you. I'm running towards you, God. Don't turn away from me. And that's what happens in a relationship versus a religion. He says these words earnestly, or an eagerness or an immediateness. He's searching for God. And someone has said, He who truly longs for God longs for him in the now. Not in the past or the present, but in the now. And so this whole idea of David's relationship with God is really now-centered. And I think that's what we need to take from it today, is that our relationship with God is in the now. It's centered in the now. What do we need now? And we live in an age where there are many false substitutes to God at work in our life, to truth. 
you know, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of materialism, hedonism, humanism, all these things draw us away. And, and you ask the question, whose voices are we listening to in our walk with God today? Are we listening to the verse of the scripture, to the Holy Spirit's leading in our heart? Are we listening to society? What's the movement? Are we caught up in the spirit of the age? No, we long for this relationship, this deep relationship with God the Father, no matter what our life is like. Psalm 143, 6 says, I spread out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And then in verse 1 again, my soul thirsts for you. So here's this desire in David's heart. He's in a desolate spot physically, but he's also in a spot where he longs for something deeper with his God. There's this insatiable longing uh, that's in his life. And there's no reasoning with this thirst. The guy that was in the desert. Thirst is going to win out. There's nothing he could do. Except quench the thirst. And that's the same with the soul. There's nothing we can do except quench the thirst of the soul. It's in the spiritual realm that we're talking. It's a divine desire. Which God's grace. He has put that void in our hearts. Without him. We are nothing. So David doesn't say, my soul thirsts for water. He says, my soul thirsts for you. He doesn't say, my soul thirsts for the blood of my enemies. He had a human right to maybe do that. But my soul thirsts for you. He didn't say, my soul... I've got this tongue tied here. My soul thirsts for deliverance out of this dry and barren wilderness. He said, my soul thirsts for you. He doesn't say, my soul thirsts to be back in the kingship. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. Let me tout my roots here a little bit, or toot, whatever word. My wife and I had a discussion this morning. What's the proper English way, tout or toot? And so, did some research on that this morning. And I'll say toot. <laughs> Let me toot uh, my denomination a little bit here. I'm credentialed with the Alliance in Canada. But we have a national prayer that we have adopted that permeates our churches. And it goes like this. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying discipleships, disciples everywhere. Oh God, with all our hearts. So here's David's desire. My God, my soul thirsts for you. Doesn't matter what kind of a situation we find ourselves in. God is always there calling for us to connect. To have that relationship with him. And in this case, David says in verse 2, I have seen you in your sanctuary and I've gazed upon your power and your glory. He's thinking backwards now, remembering all those good times that he had in Zion where God was revealing himself to David. And some of the most meaningful times in my life have been those times of worship. When I look back and I say, where did I really meet God? Where did I really experience his filling of the Spirit? Where did I really hear his voice? It's been in the midst of worship. So worship is a very powerful thing. And it was really sad here the other day. Susan and I were listening uh, to something online. It was a, an apologist. And there was a guy that stood up and was saying, you know, I used to be a Christian. But I've, I'm, I don't believe anymore. 
And he said, yeah, I was very religious. I was, actually, I was a worship leader. And we just looked at each other and we said, oh, man, how so sad that the worship leader would turn away from God. So something was going on in his life. But worship here to David was remembering what was happening in Zion. And in the midst of his trials, he was going backwards looking at what he had and what he was missing. And that really feeds his desire to meet God in a very special way. So no matter what the deserts are like in our life, remember Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the desert or the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear it. Why? Because God is there. So no matter what kind of desert we are walking in, we can trust that communion with God is still there if we reach out to him. Now notice verse 3. He says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Did you know that lifting up your hands is actually a unique way of letting go of things in your life? When the trees are growing in your backyard, are they growing with their branches this way? They're growing with their branches towards the sun. And that's where the same for us, you know. Sometimes I think in your private worship, you need to experiment a little bit with raising your hands. When I'm in my private worship, I, I just raise my hands all the time. Don't tell anyone this, but I've been known to do a little dance. Just because I experience his love and his power and his work in my life. And I love being in worship services where I can raise my hand and I can give glory to God. Some people can't do that, and that's okay. We all worship in different ways. But here, David is saying he wants to lift up to God the Creator. He says, my God. And he says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands to you in prayer. It's also symbolic that he was praying. He was looking up and he was praying. In Psalm 134.2, it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. And then 1 Kings 8.54, when Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out towards heaven. 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men, women, children, everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So David says in verse 4, so I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. So he's in this posture of remembrance. But he's sharing with us his desire to meet God in a deep way. I hope that's your desire today. That you have a real desire to know God. Not just know about God, but to know God. To have such a relationship with him that you could honestly say, I sense his word to me through the scriptures. Or through other means that God is speaking. So David's desire is to just experience the love and power of God. Secondly, we see his delight in verses 5 to 8 here. He says in verse 5, You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. He's basically again looking at his relationship with God, he's looking at his desire for God, but he's delighting in God. He's remembering those special times. And you remember the last time I was here two weeks ago, we talked about looking backwards and remembering what God has done, thinking about the good things that God has done in our life. That can be a part of our meditation. Now, you know, as I get older, I find that I'm starting to sleep less 
And uh, getting up more and more in the middle of the night, I don't know, some of you young folks down there, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. But uh, as you get older, you, you, your sleep isn't as good as it used to be. And then I struggle with a little bit of sleep apnea too, so that's even worse. So what I do when I wake up is I'm just like, all of a sudden I'm asleep and I wake up and, and I just can't go back to sleep for a few minutes. So I've adopted this concept of just praying. When I wake up, I just pray. And it's really been exciting I haven't even told my wife this, but just laying there, praying, trusting that God is hearing me, and then I fall back to sleep. And you know what? It's really amazing, too, because if you look at the biblical pattern in uh, David's day and in, in the New Testament days, they had certain hours of prayer. So when David says here that he was uh, waking up sort of idea, praying and meditating, he's actually talking about times in the, in the night when, when you would be praying. He says, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. My soul stays close to you. Your right hand upholds me. So we could say it this way in a colloquial way. My soul is glued to you. I like that. My soul is glued to you. Now, when I look at the New Testament, I'm a trichotomist. That's a big word. just means three. Um, body, soul, spirit. In the... Um, Old Testament, it's soul. But in the New Testament, they seem to split it. And, and that's why it says, you know, be sanctified in body, soul, and spirit. So this idea of what is the soul then? The soul, I think, is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the spirit is the spirit, and the body is the body. So if we take it that way in the New Testament version of it, it says here, my mind, my will, my emotions stay close to you. That's the soul, mind, will, and emotions. I think I might have said that wrong before. My soul, mind, will, and emotions stay close to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's glued to him. So his delight is in the Father. Now, here's a question for you today. In your pattern of relationship with God, how do you stay connected? How are you glued to God the Father? What do you do in your rhythm that draws you into delighting in God every day? What sort of patterns do you have in your life? And if you don't have any, it's exciting to develop some rhythm in, in your life. Um, I do a lot of um, couples counseling. And uh, one of the main goals that we have in couples who come for counseling is to help them find a new rhythm in their relationship. So they have to start doing some things that they haven't been doing before to build this new rhythm because there's only 24 hours in a day. You, you, can't, you can't get more time. So what you have to do is take the time that you have and build a new rhythm in that time which will draw you closer and closer together. And that's the same thing in our relationship with God. We need to develop a rhythm. So his desire, his great delight, and now he's going to tell us about his defense. Verse 9. He says, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. Wow. He's really talking about how God is going to bring judgment on his enemies. And here's the reality. David was just a plain old human being. And here he's not so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. He knew he was in trouble. He's in the desert. He's running from his son and the armies. And so he earnestly seeks out to God. But he, he seeks for a relationship, and he knows that in the end, God wins. He knew that in the end, God was his protector. God was his um, warrior, so to speak, in his life. 
In verse 10, he says, they're going to die by the sword and become food for the jackals. Verse 11, he says, but the king, speaking to himself, but I, the king, will rejoice in God, and all who trust in him will praise him, while liars are silenced. There are so many times when the leadership in the Bible has been challenged by the people. And in the end, from a leadership perspective, you always come back to the place and say, God, you are the one who defends my reputation or our reputation or whatever. And in the end, if I just serve you and if I just delight in you and if I just do what you want me to do, you will look after me. God is the avenger of our faith. I'll tell you a little story that's sort of personal. When I was in the pastoral ministry in Lloyd, I was uh, working with a couple um, as a pastor trying to help them in their relationship and they were separated and moving towards divorce. So I was working with the wife and another pastor in the community was working with the husband. Well, the husband just had some real issues in his life. So he phoned the district superintendent, my boss, so to speak, and shared some things with him that were just, to me, totally untrue and flabbergasting. And just very destructive to my reputation as a pastor in the community. And I just knew that God would take care of that. And I didn't worry about it. It bothered me a little bit, but I didn't worry about it because I knew God was in control. And in the end, his motives were revealed and all of that took place. And I'm so glad that I had a, a district superintendent who knew me and who just wouldn't believe it. Checked it out, of course. He phoned me and checked it out, but he knew it wasn't true. So the bottom line is this, that our defense really is in God. Just flip over to Romans 12, 19 for a minute, if you have your Bible. Romans 12, 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't have to worry too much about the things that happen in our life in terms of revenge, because we know in the end God is going to win, God is going to take care of it. And that's the most powerful statement that David's making here as he concludes this chapter. He's saying, God, you are my defender. I will trust in you. I know you're going to take care of it. My enemies aren't going to win. In the end, you win. And I will be back where I need to be in my relationship with you. So the bottom line here, he was at a point of total surrender in his life to God. And I think that's what really sparks my heart as a believer, is I just want to surrender to God's will and way. I just want to do what he wants me to do. And I'm so glad that God is a situational God and he moves us and changes us. And, you know, uh, I'm on my third career uh, just following God and just doing what he's calling me to do. And that's a joy in the Christian life because I know that he'll take care of things. He wins in the end. Listen to what Jay Darby says. He was an early leader in the Plymouth Brethren movement. He said, to be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what is in God's heart towards me. I really like that. I must be starving. You know, that sense of if I haven't been able to eat for days and days and days, I've got that hunger. Or to be in a desert with no water, I've got that thirst. To quench that thirst, that's what he's saying here. A.W. Tozer, again tooting my roots here, who just happened to be an Alliance fella, said this, the renewed man will have a new life center. 
He will become aware of a different philosophical outlook. Things he once held to be of any value may suddenly lose all their attraction for him, and he may even hate the same things that he formerly loved. That's when we let go and let God. He changes us from the inside out. A.B. Simpson said this, It's all connected with a living person. We are not filled with an influence. We are not filled with a sensation. We are not filled with a set of ideas and truths. We are not filled with a blessing, but we are filled with a person. And it's the very essence of this indwelling life of Christ himself. He is calling us to enlargement in our soul, bringing us out of the narrow channels and shallow currents into a place of broad rivers and streams where we'll get out of our littleness, our straightened self-life, our narrow thoughts, our views, our aims, our joys, our ambitions and our afflictions, and we'll rise to the length and breadth and height and depth of the fullness of God. Wow, to get there. So here's our prayer. I'd like you to take this prayer to your heart today. I'd like you to say it after me. I'll read the first line and then you just say it. Oh God, with all our hearts we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered. Self, uh, pardon me, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people. Multiplying disciples everywhere. So as we close today then, it's my prayer for you that you would have a deep desire to renew if you need to renew or to strengthen or to uplift. That you would take time to delight in him today. And that you would remember that there's nothing happening in your world today that God won't win. He's in control and he will win. Let's pray. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for Psalm 63. We thank you that it speaks to us about relationship with you and not religion. We thank you today that we have this relationship with you, that you came down, that you walked among men, that you became as we are here today, and yet you were still God. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given us. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who invigorates us and empowers us to walk with you and serve you. Give us wisdom today to hear your voice amidst all the clamoring voices of around us today. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ross, for that challenge. I think that's a great one for us to think about, especially during summer when we maybe have a little more time for contemplation. Um, we're going to... I switched it. Number five. <clears throat> I think this song kind of wraps it up really well. It's from Psalm 142.
song that directs us to where to find that refuge, Thy Word, from Psalm 119. Please be near me. 